Welcome to episode 303 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker and author of What Win Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiathurlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right. We're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast with code ifpodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes.
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 303 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Cynthia Thurlow. Hi, Melanie. How are you? I'm doing very well. I actually have a question for you. It relates to, so I have an announcement. And I have something that I wanted to share, and then it relates to a question for you as well. I interviewed a guy named Matt Simon for his book, A Poison Like No Other, which was all about microplastics corrupting our planet. And it was mind-blowing and shocking. But in any case, it just made me more and more aware of the importance of sustainability and not creating waste 
and all of this stuff. So I have an announcement about how we're going to change and adjust how we offer subscriptions for Avalon X products. But I was wondering, do you have subscriptions for your products? Creatine. So the subscription will start on February 10th. And we're really excited since there's been such a tremendous response to the creatine. And I don't know if I told you that Mark Hyman featured my creatine in his newsletter last week. Oh, wow. Did you send it to him? No, I actually I had my second podcast with Drew Purvit last month. And when I was out, I brought some with me just to kind of have in case I was going to give it to someone that I thought would enjoy it. And when we were having an off-camera discussion, he mentioned he had just started, he had been working diligently on strength training and fat loss. And and I said to him, you know, have you looked at the research on creatine? He was like, I absolutely have. And so I said, I brought a product of mine. There's absolutely no obligation. He loved it. He gave it to his sister, bought some, and then they featured it in Mark Hyman's newsletter. So I was really like really surprised and and very grateful for that opportunity because it led to quite a bit of people purchasing the creatine. So yes, our subscriptions are going to start on February 10th. And it's really going to be a great way to save on a product that I think nearly every person, irrespective of life, age, and stage can benefit from. Wow, that's amazing. Have you had Mark on your show? I have not. And he is kind of one of those elusive characters that doesn't do a lot of guest podcasting, I guess you get to a point in your business. I know JJ Virgin and I used to talk about this, that you know people will get to a point in their business where they just don't do a lot of guest podcasting anymore. And I think that's where he is. And so to answer your question, no, but it doesn't mean that it won't happen. So I'm going to you know cross my fingers and put that intention out there into the universe. Wow. I will as well. That's amazing. That's super cool. So the subscriptions are great because they make it easy for people. But then as far as like, it's less shipping, so it's more sustainable. And the change that we're making, which we're still locking down the details, but it should be hopefully around February 20th, I think. We're hoping to switch to, right now people get multiple bottles. And so we're hoping to switch to a like a one large bottle option. So hopefully that will be live. So people can get the updates at avalonx.us slash email list. And how can people get updates for your products? Yeah. So the easiest thing to do is to go to www.cynthiathurlow.com slash supplements, and you'll be able to get information on creatine as well as a little teaser about what the next supplement will be. I'm technically not allowed to talk about it yet, but we're super excited because it's going to be helpful for brain health, metabolic health, and there's a lot of solid research on sleep support as well. Awesome. 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 Just as a a cap to all of that, I read that that book, A Poison Like No Other, which I actually really recommend reading the book or checking out my interview when it comes out because it really is upsetting. Like I didn't really realize the extent that, I mean, I knew plastics were bad, but he just has all the stats about really what they're doing. But then what's really crazy, and this kind of blew my mind. So he he danced around this a little bit, but I was listening to an interview last night that kind of made it even more firm. So he talks in his book about how recycling is misleading. Like it was basically, like it's not really doing what we think it's doing. And the majority of recycled products just end up in landfills anyway. And then last night I was listening to an interview on Rich Roll with Seth Godin. And he just outright said that recycling was created by the 
like that it's just a lie. Like it was created by the by industry to make us feel better about plastic. Like he 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 literally says like recycling things into blue plastic bins does nothing. Like it's li- literally created. And again, I, I gotta like research this, but he says it was created by the industry so people would feel better about purchasing plastic because they could recycle it. That would make sense, although very disturbing because I think so many of us have been led to believe that if we can recycle it, then it's not so bad. And to your point, I was listening to a podcast of Sean Stevenson's recently, and he was connected with Metabolic Mike, who is the podcast host of High Intensity Health, which is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to because he really, you know, provides like research and makes it short and relevant so that people can have some takeaways. And they were talking about the contamination theory of obesity as a means for why so many people are struggling with weight loss resistance and why we're seeing such a net impact on fertility rates and miscarriages and changes in endogenous testosterone levels. And and I think for a long time, I was always like, oh, it's related to insulin resistance. We're such an unhealthy population And it's really the exposure to these endocrine mimicking chemicals that is so profound. So I really look forward to checking that book out and, of course, listening to your interview. Yes, I find it all just so fascinating and things that people people just don't really think about. But I'm happy that people are taking it more seriously now. (sighs) So it's funny, though. I read that book. I'm so happy my supplements are in glass bottles, but they have plastic caps. So I remember I like when I was reading it and I was like texting or calling Scott, our partner at MD Logic. I was like, we have to get rid of plastic caps. <laughs> I don't know what the, I don't know what the alternative is. But um yeah, so I'll work on that. Uh, I love how thoughtful you've been. I mean, thus far, I think my my second product will also be in a pouch. So we're trying to navigate, you know, healthier options as opposed to a lot of the plastics that most supplements are contained in. It's just, there's a lot of nuance. And I think that, you know, we just try to do the best that we can, but obviously understanding that we don't know it all and that we have to continue to do the work and, and to learn from experts that know more than, than we do. Cause I certainly feel like it's, it's not a, it's not a race. It's a journey to make better choices in our things we're exposed to in our environment, personal care products and food. And plastics are everywhere. I mean, if you really just sit back and think about it, it is everywhere. And we just think about it as being normal. So fun fact, it's literally everywhere. They're on the top of Mount Everest. According to that book, they're at the top of Mount Everest and they're also at the bottoms of the ocean. So they're literally everywhere. (laughs) So yeah, fun times, fun times. I did get really excited because one of our new sponsors, Manukora Honey, which is delicious. It's Manuka honey from New Zealand. When I did the call with them, because they have like individual packets that they send. And I was a little bit concerned because I was like, that doesn't sound very sustainable. But then when I did the call with them, they said they actually had completely 100% compostable packaging for those. So that was super exciting. But people people can actually get those free if they go to manukora.com slash podcast. So they can get some Manuka honey sticks to try in completely compostable packaging. That's awesome. 
Hi friends, we are so honored to be sponsored in part today by NutriSense. You guys hear us talk about continuous glucose monitors, aka CGMs, all the time on this show. And in particular, we love NutriSense, and here is why. NutriSense not only provides a 24-7 moving picture of your glucose values, they also offer a unique opportunity for self-discovery. So imagine this. You have a meal, and then you notice a spike in your glucose levels. So you think, hmm, that didn't go well. But here's the magic. Tomorrow, you can make a simple change. You can swap whatever you were eating for something else. Now you have real-time data to evaluate the impact. Maybe instead of that fruit, you have some vegetables. Maybe instead of that oatmeal, you have some yogurt. Maybe instead of that steak, you have some fruit. The continuous feedback loop that you can get with a NutriSense CGM empowers you to make quick, informed iterations with your meals. Maybe the change results in a completely normal glucose level, or maybe it's still a little bit high, but significantly better. Armed with this knowledge, you can refine your choices further, rapidly steering your glucose values back to the normal range. Without a continuous glucose monitor, honestly, you're just guessing and assuming that what you're doing is working. And when you go test your blood sugar levels at the doctor, that's just a snapshot of that one moment in time. It's not telling you what actually was happening throughout the day all the time. What makes NutriSense truly transformative is its ability to create lasting habits and intrinsic motivation. So instead of relying on generic advice from professionals or online sources or us, you have personalized real-time data from your own body. When you see the direct impact of your choices, it will resonate on a whole new level. This newfound awareness becomes the driving force, making it easier than ever to stay motivated and committed to your health journey. I promise you friends, it's like opening your eyes to the secret to lasting change because it gives you this empowering knowledge that you just didn't have before. So if you're looking to take charge of your health, gain real insights into your body and make sustainable, positive changes, NutriSense is your ultimate partner. Join them and us on this journey of discovery and unlock your full health potential. Get started today at NutriSense.com slash podcast and receive a $30 discount off of your first month, which includes two CGM sensors, free shipping and professional nutritionist support. That's nutrisense.com slash IF podcast for a $30 discount off your first month with two CGM sensors, free shipping and professional nutritionist support, which by the way, I get a lot of feedback on just how helpful that nutritionist support is. It's so easy. You can talk to them in real time in the app and they can really help you make sense of all the data that you receive from your continuous glucose monitor. NutriSense.com slash podcast. And I am just so grateful to NutriSense for helping support today's show. So today's episode, so Cynthia and I have been doing, <laughs> our episode 300 became multiple episodes because we got so many amazing AMA questions and we we want to keep doing them because they're so fun and awesome and so many topics. And we also realized that I think the past two or three episodes, we haven't done that many fasting specific questions. So what we're going to do today is we're still doing AMA, but these are the fasting AMA questions we got. Because when we asked for the questions, we asked for, I mean, we were hoping for non-fasting related questions, but we still got a lot of fasting related questions. So this actually works out very well. So to start things off, we have a question from Neva. And she says, I've been dying to ask any suggestions on balancing the fung community perspective of, quote, longer fasts needed to get insulin resistance reversed and for the autophagy needed to reduce excess skin versus Cynthia's concerns about longer fasts and especially getting enough protein. This conundrum has been a problem for me. This is a great question, Neva. I think a lot of this really depends on you as an individual. If you are already 
metabolically healthy and at a healthy weight, then I don't think really long fasts need to be something that you need to focus on over time. However, if you're someone that is not metabolically healthy, that is insulin resistant, I think that doing longer fasts can be helpful for breaking through plateaus. I think that longer fasts can be beneficial for helping with cravings. I think it can be helpful for reducing inflammation and upregulating autophagy. But I think there's, there's many, many things that we have to consider when we're trying to balance, we're trying to balance longer fasts and being able to hit our protein macros. I, I think that when you look at the science of poor metabolic health and you're looking at sarcopenia and you're understanding that insulin resistance actually starts in your muscles, it's important to then also understand that one of the ways that you are going to help with reversing insulin resistance is reallocating those macros, becoming more physically active. And this is a really good example of the need to experiment depending on where you are in your fasting journey. And I've started to speak more openly about this, that a lot of times people think fasting has to be the answer for everything. And fasting is but one strategy of many that we can utilize to ensure that we have our health and longevity kind of railed in. And so when, when people ask me questions like this, it's always in the context of, I need to know more. Are you at a healthy weight? Are you sleeping well? Do you eat an anti-inflammatory diet? Are you menopausal? Are you perimenopausal? Are you still in your peak fertile years? And I really would say that the average woman under the age of 35 shouldn't be doing these really long fasts. Our bodies are just so exquisitely attuned to this kind of, you know, methodology or or really understanding that our bodies are so sensitive to cues that we take from our environment, you know, when we talk about stress. And unfortunately, I think fasting for many people has now become a strategy that they're, you know, really leaning into and doing the extremes. They want to do really long fasts. They want to over-restrict macros in some capacity or another. They don't want to sleep. They want to over-exercise. And so, the way to answer that question is to say, I would need to know more about your personal circumstances to make suggestions. But in terms of kind of wide overreaching comments, I would say it's really dependent on, are you metabolically flexible? What life stage are you in? And what are your goals? So Dr. Fung and I overlap quite a bit on what we you know lean into. But obviously for me, I am all about protein and maintaining muscle mass because that will help with insulin sensitivity. And I don't per se see that talked about a great deal, although most of the insulin researchers, including Ben Bickman, will talk about this loss of muscle signaling, loss of insulin sensitivity as being the first site in the body of you know where we become insulin resistant. Melanie, what are your thoughts? First of all, I thought that was an incredible comprehensive answer. I'm so happy that you pointed out the bit about the insulin resistance starting at the state of the muscle because that's like one of my favorite. I have like a list of fun facts about metabolic health. That's one of my favorites because I think a lot of people don't realize that. Like they probably think it starts, well, I don't know where, they probably don't think about where it starts, <laughs> but it's really interesting that it does start at the muscle. And so, yeah, I mean, I just echo everything that you said, which I think it's just a slight paradigm shift in, I like how you, you use the word strategy. So basically, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think we don't see longer fast as the day-to-day habit lifestyle pathway. Like longer fasting is not 
your daily life. It's a, a strategy to use with specific goals in mind and keeping in mind the context of everything. So, you know, your diet, your current weight, what you're looking for, how much other stress you have. I'm right now I'm reading Benazadi's book because he's coming on my show in a few weeks. He quoted, I think some research by Thomas Seyfried who said, for example, that he thinks if you do like one long, I think he said seven day fast once per year, that it would reduce your cancer risk by 95%. Again, I don't know. I think that was just his thoughts on it, but basically it's the idea that you could use longer fasts very specifically with specific goals in mind. And I think it can have a lot of benefits, but I also think people can go way overboard and in a day-to-day practice, yes, the getting enough protein is so, so important. And while I'm able to get all the protein in a very short amount of time, a lot of people just aren't able to do that. So I don't think they're in conflict. I think they're actually just separate goals and intentions and uses. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to really, to really understand at a very basic level, we're not asking anyone to have to go out and feel like you've got to research all of these, these different points. But I can tell you as Melanie can, after talking to the experts, it's, it's very apparent that if we really understand where insulin resistance starts from, it just starts to make sense about why it's important to, as an example, like if you're insulin resistant, walk after a meal. Like that really doesn't require you to do anything special. It's just understanding that with each muscle contraction, your body is using up extra glucose. And so, you know, when people say I'm insulin resistant, I'm really struggling with this, what's going on? It's like, okay, we have to get back to basics. Let's not make it complicated. And I think, unfortunately, what happens is that well-meaning people sometimes make things so complicated, people don't even know where to start. And so, Ben does a great job making things, making making more complicated subjects or concepts, making them very accessible for people so they can then take action. And that's really what it comes down to. We want to be able to provide information so that people can make informed decisions and they can, you know, make those changes that are going to have a huge impact on their health. It's interesting because there's so much information and then there's so much information and context And yet we still make these blanket binary statements. Like, I don't know if Jason Fung actually said this, but like in her quote, that longer fasts are needed to get insulin resistance reversed. You can revert. I'm saying, (laughs) I'm pretty sure you can reverse insulin resistance without ever doing a quote, longer fast. That would help, but it's not the only way. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because someone on Twitter today posted, "How? what's the longest fast you've ever done? And my joking response is always 13 days, but not because I wanted to. And so I think it also speaks to the fact that, you know, finding that happy medium, like a lot of people in the health and wellness space are starting to kind of discourage these really long fasts because it's putting, you know, in, in the wrong individual can really put additional stress and strain on your HPA access and cortisol and other things and understanding that you can get a lot of benefits from shorter fasts and shorter meaning like, you know, less than 20 hours or less than 18 hours. And actually the longer I fast, the longer I've been fasting, the less I do really long fast. Cause I just don't feel like I need to do it. And, and if you look at, you know, I always think of Dr. Ted Naiman as a good example. He's, I think roughly my age, very lean. And he talks about this diminishing law of returns after 24 hours. I don't disagree with him because you start to think about, what are the net benefits? And am I losing muscle, especially if you're north of like 40, 45, 
it becomes more challenging to maintain muscle mass as you get older if you're not actively working against that. And so why would you do all these long fasts if you're putting yourself at risk for losing exactly the organ that is going to help you maintain, one of many, help you maintain insulin sensitivity? As you can see, I could talk about this for hours. No, I love it. I'm all about it. Okay, so some more AMAs. We got some three quick ones from Nicole. One, is it okay to cycle your fasting times anywhere from 14 to 18 hours? Yes, and I encourage women in particular to adjust their fasting based on where they are in their menstrual cycle. And I do like variety. Just like we don't eat the same foods every day, we don't do the same exercise types of exercise every day. I do genuinely believe that there is benefit from you know, keeping your body guessing, not torturing yourself. I'm not asking anyone to white knuckle it through fasting. That is not what we are trying to suggest, but I do like moderation. How about you? I agree 100%. Some people do really well with, I mean, like me, I, I tend to do really well with a more consistent. I know I do well with a consistent schedule. Although I was thinking about it, actually, I do naturally fluctuate my window it's always an evening eating window, but like last night, for example, I went to a, a comedy show actually. Do you know Taylor Tomlinson? I don't. She's a Netflix special and I actually wasn't familiar with her, but my friend had tickets and then couldn't go. So she just gave them to me. It's like, okay, sure. I'll go. Do you like comedy shows? I do. Yeah. I think they're, I should probably go to them more. There's definitely a lot of health benefits to um, laughing. <laughs> so, but in any case, you know, it started early. So I, open my window with wine <laughs> way earlier than I normally do. And that kind of bumped everything up earlier. And then I, but then I realized I still went to bed late. So I was just thinking about last night that my window was open, you know, almost double of what it normally is. I'm not super rigid. Like it has to be, you know, these hours between these times, I, I just go with the flow if things are changing. But in general, beyond that, I agree with what you were saying about, you know, a lot of people, especially women, can benefit a lot from really, you know, changing things up and listening to themselves and, you know, the effects of their cycle and hormones. So yes, definitely. The only caveat I would have is I think some people, and I think we talked about this on a recent episode, I do think for some people who are just starting fasting and they've never fasted before, if they're not adapted to fat burning, depending on what personality type they are, they might do better and actually maybe regardless of personality type. There is a benefit to, I think, for a lot of people committing to a window in the beginning because you're making those adaptations. And if you instead just like go with the flow, it's going to be hard to be intuitive if you're not a fat burner yet and you're not adjusted to fasting. So I think having that regulation in the beginning to become metabolically flexible and f understand how you should feel when you're in the fat burning state and while fasting, I think that's when it can be helpful to be more rigid. Absolutely. Just like, you know, when I'm teaching women, like I have IF45 that I run, you know, four times a year, we have a, a group that they're just in their second week of fasting. And I always tell them until you've got the basics down, I don't mind if you are fairly consistent with what you are doing. But when you get to a point where your body's able to utilize either glucose or fats as a fuel substrate, then you're in a position where you can start varying things and people will know that they're at that point when they don't feel like they're white knuckling through the process. Like they feel comfortable. They are not having headaches. They have plenty of energy. They're not feeling like they have a slump after a meal. 
And most people will notice that's if they're you know, kind of struggling with weight loss resistance or they're, you know, they've been struggling with, you know, cravings, all of a sudden things start to kind of even out for them. And so I 100% agree with you, Melanie. You definitely want to make sure you're fat adapted. Awesome. She has two other quick questions. One is, if you consume 10 calories via electrolytes element, are you still fasting? And I'll just comment on that because I just looked up elements, like their their line. So the flavored ones are the ones that have calories. So for example, like their watermelon has five calories in a stick. Their chocolate has five calories, but their lemon habanero for example, has 10 calories. It's really interesting. I, and I, I'm assuming that is coming from whatever flavoring they, they're using. So like with lemon habanero, they're using natural habanero flavor, but then their raw unflavored has no calories. So I do have thoughts on this. Do you have thoughts on this, Cynthia? This is one of those nuances that if you are someone who is at a, who's metabolically flexible, you're at a healthy weight, you know, taking in calories during a fast technically is breaking a clean fast. But if you are otherwise metabolically healthy and flexible, I don't think this is something people should stress and worry about. I do find for a lot of women, as an example, because I work almost exclusively with women, that this is the type of stuff that can add up. When someone says to me, I'm weight loss resistant, I'm doing all the right things, and we start looking at a daily recall, and they don't realize that they've got, I mean, five calories and cal- 10 calories is not going to like be the, the impetus for being weight loss resistant, but not understanding that cumulatively over time, these can be some of the things that add up that can be, can be contributing to weight loss resistance. So it's the, you know, 50 grams or 50 calories of grapes that they eat while they're fasted or, you know, they're having like a fatty coffee or just these things can add up over time. But a clean fast, definition of a clean fast, if you're ingesting electrolytes that are flavored with sugars or flavored with non-nutritive sweeteners, technically that breaks a clean fast. But again, it goes back to, are you metabolically flexible? If it is, I'm not stressing about that, nor should you. But if you are weight loss resistant, it's something to consider. Yeah, I agree with that. I actually think with the flavors the issue more for people would be having those flavors during the fast, even if it was zero calories, because that signals to the body food type stuff. So I think it can mess with appetite regulation. So that's why we've always said on this show historically, as long as we've been working with Element, that the raw unflavored, so the one that I said was zero calories, and that's one that has no flavors, that's the one that is clean fast friendly. So the other ones we would advocate for within your eating window. And so this is really interesting. I I don't know if this is true. I think I mentioned on this show before, I interviewed Steve Hendricks for his book called The Oldest Cure in the World, and it was The History of Fasting, and I, I talked about it. We're actually probably going to air that episode on this show because it was just mind-blowing. I just want to air it first on my biohacking podcast. He talks a lot about the work of Sachin Panda in his book, Sachin Panda does a lot of work on time-restricted eating and in particular circadian rhythms of it and things like that. So I'm just going to read what he says because I find this really interesting. But Sachin Panda, one of the things he did was he had an app where he had people logging their food intake all throughout the day and he found out what people were actually eating. And one of the takeaways was that people think they're eating way less than they are. Not amount-wise, like time-wise. People don't realize, most people are literally having some sort of food 
enough that they're pretty much in the fed state the majority of the time. But he says most people eating and drinking their last calories at 10 or 11 p.m., this is what Sachin Panda found, weren't entering fat-burning mode and repair mode until 4 or 5 a.m., and never reached anything like exponential burn or repair before they took their morning coffee with cream at 7 a.m. Panda has found that just five calories, one and a half grapes, are enough to keep us in fat-making mode for six more hours. Which I find that, I don't know, that's a big statement. Big statement. And it's interesting because... There are, I have to believe, well-meaning individuals who tell people on social media that it's okay if they consume a bunch of grapes. It's okay if they have copious amounts of fat. It's okay to do all these things. And I, I just remind people that if the average person out there is is not going more than eight to 10 hours without eating during the day, to Melanie's point that you're losing out on opportunities to use up some of the stored fuel. So just to kind of keep that in mind that that cephalic phase insulin response is a real physiologic response to things that are sweet on our tongue, or if our body anticipates we're going to be eating food. So, you know, really thinking thoughtfully about what position are you in? And if you're really trying to get a hold of insulin resistance, or you're really trying to become more metabolically healthy, that you want to lean into like unflavored element or, you know, save those electrolytes that are sweetened, save them for your feeding window. That's going to be a much better option. Yeah. And I think it goes both ways. So one, what you just said, where people, well, people put this magical calorie like ceiling and say that if you're below that, it doesn't break your fast, which I don't know where that came from. But then on the flip side, I mean, I guess I would need the context of what this research was. It's hard for me to think that if somebody is fasted in the fat burning state, and maybe maybe he's talking about they're not yet in the fat burning state, but if they're deep in the fat burning state and then they have five calories, I don't know how that would keep them out of fat burning for six more hours. Like, I just want to know what that research was. Like, what was he measuring? I think it's safe to say that flavors and such are not going to help you with your fasting experience, most likely. And that there's not some magical, like, if it's below these calories, it doesn't matter. Um, if listeners would like to get Element and get that raw and flavored, they can actually get all the flavors free with their order. Just go to drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. So remember, the flavored ones in your eating window, the raw and flavored in your fasting. Okay, Nicole has one more super quick rapid fire question. Is coffee okay to have while fasting? I'm guessing Nicole's probably new to our community. Here are my thoughts. If you have healthy adrenals and you're sleeping and you're not super stressed out, I think coffee is incredibly beneficial. We know there are polyphenols in coffee that can upregulate lipolysis and fat burning and fat oxidation. And so in someone who is not completely stressed out, is sleeping well, and is not in, now I'm going to put this out there. I interviewed Dr. Kyle Gillette for my podcast and he talked about andropause. So andropause is when men go through what's equivalent to menopause, but there's also adrenal pause. So our adrenals are not as stress resilient as we are getting older. And so coffee in the right person is a wonderful thing to consume in a fasted state. If you're someone who's super stressed out and drinking that coffee overtaxes your adrenals and it 
pushes your cortisol up, which sends your blood glucose up, that's not a good thing. So I think it's really always in the context of you as an individual, but as an overall recommendation, we do recommend bitter teas and coffee as a great option. Now, again, not coffee with cream in it. (laughs) We're going to recommend black coffee, bitter teas, because those are the things that are going to be beneficial. And if you don't love plain coffee, you can add cinnamon, which will help with insulin sensitivity. You can also add like high quality salt, like Redmond's that can help with the bitterness. Those are two tips, even though I'm not a coffee drinker that I've learned along the way. What are your thoughts, Melanie? I'm glad you answered it from that perspective. I was in my head, I was thinking about it literally just from the breaking or not breaking the fast. So I'm really glad that you went there. I agree exactly with what you said. And then I'll just expand a little bit on the coffee and the clean fast or not. So plain black coffee would be quote, clean fast friendly. Coffee with cream, no. Coffee with added sugar, no. Even coffee with sweeteners, it goes back to what we were just talking about, about you know giving your body mixed messages during the fast. But yes, I think that context is really important with what Cynthia said about your adrenals and your, you know, where your stress levels are. Do you drink coffee, Cynthia? I know we've talked about this. I do not. Neither does my husband. So the only person in my house that drinks coffee is my 15-year-old who loves espresso. Do you have caffeine at all? Not a lot. I don't, you know, I've just never, it's it's something that for me, like I can drink green tea a couple days a week and I do make an effort to do that, but I ice it. I actually brew it and then I ice it and then I drink it with a straw. I've just never been someone that like loves caffeinated beverages. I think it, it can be very overstimulating for me. Although it's interesting when I did a biogenomics test over the summer, they're like, oh, you're very caffeine tolerant. I was like, really? Because I don't feel super caffeine tolerant. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm one of those strange adults that does not love coffee. How about you? Well, I'm very, as you know, alcohol tolerant, literally, but literally in the genes, caffeine, not so much. I actually was reflecting on this yesterday with gratitude. Like I was having so much gratitude for this because historically I, like in college, I mean, I don't even know how much coffee I drank. I mean, I shudder thinking about it. I think listeners know this because I say it a lot, but I I just have like a spoonful of coffee every morning, like literally a spoonful of liquid coffee. And so I was reflecting with gratitude that I'm not addicted right now to coffee or caffeine. I was like, oh, I, I was thinking about it. I was like, I just wake up and I don't really have caffeine. So like all my energy is pretty much not from a stimulant, which is a nice thought. I think it's become normal for people to be really dependent on stimulants to get their day going. And I think for me, you know, years ago, people, everyone knows this. I was an ear nurse and I had to work nights and I would drink diet Pepsi, which all it did was upset my stomach. So I've just learned that for me, I do better just with water, a lot of water. And that's, I stay really well hydrated and there's a lot of other things I do to kind of get me going in the morning as opposed to being dependent on a on a stimulant, which there's no judgment. I'm just, it just doesn't, it's just not the way I like to feel in the morning. It's just, it's not my happy place. But you will see me drinking green tea at least four days a week because there's a lot of health benefits from it. Yeah. And there are a lot of health benefits to moderate coffee drinkers. And I think if I was the type that could do that and didn't struggle with my sleep, I probably would. But like I said, I don't process caffeine that fast. And so it's just not ideal for me. But I do like, it kind of relates to what we were talking about earlier with longer fasts. It's nice to have it in your back pocket. Like if, like the the night when I, you know, got up really early for Taylor Swift tickets and was sleep deprived and 
like I had coffee that day and I, I was good. <laughs> so it's nice to, to like have it to pull out when you desperately need it. So, yep. Okay. Another AMA fasting question. This is from Sarah. She says, help. My fasting glucose is going up. Oh, and by the way, we really need to answer Sarah's question because I think she posted this in the AMA. I think she posted it on her own in the group. She DM'd me about this. She was like, please help. So Sarah, we're going to try to help you. She said, my fasting glucose is going up. I have been intermittent fasting for over two years. I usually eat lunch and dinner and I am low carb. I've been doing my best to eat 100 grams or more of protein daily. I'm 40. I haven't made any huge changes lately. My fasting glucose has been staying over 100 even after 18 hours. In March, I had my insulin checked and it was two, three, and five within two weeks on three separate occasions. I would love any advice. Well, Sarah, this is a great question. I would say, you know, without having more information, you're perimenopausal because you're 40. And so this is when we start becoming less insulin sensitive. That doesn't mean that you're insulin resistant per se, but you are becoming less insulin sensitive. So I start thinking about, are you sleeping enough? Is it high quality sleep? Are you lifting weights? Are you consuming an anti-inflammatory diet? I can't necessarily tell from what you're sharing here. Gut health is really important. I see a lot of interrelationship with you know, really looking at the gut microbiome as something that can impact blood sugar levels. I also think about, you know, Melanie, I started off the podcast talking about toxins in your personal care products, food and environment is another one. That podcast that I mentioned was Sean Stevenson's The Model Health Show, and it was him and Mike Mutzel talking about, you know, metabolic health and also changes in fertility and the contamination theory of obesity. And I just think about other things like are you exposed to mold? Are you exposed to mycotoxins? You know, are you leptin resistant? I mean, there's a lot of different things that can impact what's going on. And then just looking at overall labs, like what's your progesterone doing? What's your estrogen doing? You know, there's a lot of different things that can look at this. And when you say that you've been checking your blood sugar, it could be as granular as, you know, has your glucometer been, you know, titrated? Has, have, you know, do you need to have it looked at to see, you know, do you need to change your strips? I mean, there's so many things that can impact why your blood sugar is not optimal. But I would say those are good things to look at. And just understanding in the context of other questions we've answered on this podcast today, you know, muscle mass is really important. So understanding that insulin resistance actually starts in the muscle. So are you doing resistance training? Because I still think a lot of women heading to their 40s are still doing like I've got to go run five miles every day. And I'm like, you would be better served by getting in the gym and lifting weights three days a week than doing these really long runs. And the other thing to think about is, you know, we're, we're coming off the tail end of this pandemic and I see a lot of women who are stressed and the stress is bumping their cortisol up and accordingly your glucose will go up. And so, you know, really getting granular and honest with yourself about what your stress management style is like. And it's not five minutes of meditation. It really needs to be a practice, things that you do every day. As an example, I get out in nature every single day, walk my dogs, no sunglasses. And then when I'm done exercising, I get on my PMF mat. And that is part of time that I allot every morning to do those two things in the context of everything else that I do, because it it brings me so much joy. And it's so, it's such a something I really look forward to because it helps quiet that sympathetic nervous system. So those are my thoughts just based on what you've shared. Melanie, what are your insights? 
So where I would start, and really this is for anybody who's having this issue, what Cynthia was saying about the glucometer, it can be really hard if you're just looking at a single snapshot of you know, a blood test at the doctor, or if you, even if you have a glucometer where you can prick your finger, that's just one moment in time. And like Cynthia said, so many things can affect it. So if anybody's struggling to figure out you know, their blood sugar levels, I would 100% recommend doing at least a two-week round of a CGM. It's the most eye-opening thing. I honestly think everybody should be like mandatory like life required that everybody does two weeks of a CGM at some point because what it does is it's a device that you wear on your arm. It's painless to put on and it it measures your blood sugar via your interstitial fluid and it gives you a picture of your blood sugar is it every five minutes. Regardless, it shows you how your blood sugar is changing. And with that, you can actually find patterns and you can see is your fasting blood sugar actually high? Is it staying high or is it, you know, dropping and dipping and then going up? You know, what's actually happening? And I, it gives so much clarity to what might be the cause. So we love a company called NutriSense and they're actually a sponsor on today's episode. So you can listen to that ad for more information, but you can get $30 off and one month of free support from a dietitian because something that's really cool is you can actually, through the app, talk to somebody who will talk to you about your findings. So that can be actually pretty helpful. So just go to Nutrisense.io slash ifpodcast and use the code ifpodcast and that will get you $30 off and one month of a free dietitian support. And if it is something where a lot of people do benefit from getting a subscription with that because it can be really helpful to go longer than the two weeks to really get a good picture. So that's where I would start just to see what the actual data is and then see what might be the factors that are causing it to be high. Because her insulin, how do you feel about her insulin being, I mean, two is low and three is low? Yeah, I mean, my my general recommendations is between two to five. So, I mean, it could be impacted by where she was in her menstrual cycle or you know, a lot of different factors. I love that you brought up the CGM because that can give a much more complete picture. And for me, it's it's like glucometers, just like blood pressure cuffs are super helpful, but it's it's like at that one specific time, that's when you're getting that metric. And so I, I do agree fervently that having a continuous glucose monitor is an even better option because you can then see the real net impact of sleep, stress, exercise, et cetera, on your blood sugar in real time, as opposed to, you know, having to prick yourself 10 times a day. And some people prefer that. I personally don't like that at all. (laughs) I'll be totally transparent. And this is like a really good case study example. So I don't know how often Sarah was checking, but for example, she's saying my fasting glucose has been over 100 after 18 hours. Some people will find when they're using a CGM that when they're fasting like, you know, 12 hours and 13 hours and 14 hours and 15 hours that it's low. And then when they get even longer into the fast because of their stress hormones from the fast, that it actually starts going up again. So, you know, that might be a pattern. I'm not saying that that's what's happening with Sarah, but I know that's a pattern that people often experience. And that's something where that would be something to address and fine tune and try to make that not be the case. But it might be something where you think if you just checked it at 18 hours, that it's been high that whole time when actually it hasn't. So that's why, yeah, CGM can just be a game changer. Are you wearing one right now, Cynthia? 
I am not. I'm taking a break. I used one, gosh, for 18 months straight. And then I just got to a point where I'm very aware of the things that will raise my blood sugar. And so I just, I do, I mean, there's things I do conscientiously throughout my day to make sure that, you know, I can manage and mitigate a blood sugar response. And the foods that that did for me cause blood sugar rises that were beyond my norm, like plantains, which is so sad because I love plantains, or, you know, whether it's, you know, gluten-free flours and like a cookie or a cake, I just don't eat those things very often. So for me, it just has created an awareness of the net impact of like taking a walk after exercise, but I don't necessarily feel like I need to wear them all the time. How about you? I'm glad you said that because that made me think another benefit or something that people can troubleshoot with a CGM is some people, somebody DM me about this the other day on Instagram. Some people will be fasting and randomly get cravings like sugar cravings or hungry and they don't know why. And that can be really beneficial to be wearing a CGM because you can see if when you get those cravings, are you having a blood sugar drop or are you not? And that can help you kind of figure out, you know, what might be going on there. I haven't worn one in a while. I've actually, I have it in my calendar. I need, I want to put one on pretty soon. It's on my to-do list. I have to put one, I have to put one on when I actually am dressed up and going out so I can make a reel from it. So that's, what's been keeping me from doing it. Do you switch arms when you do it that long? I do. I do. I, I start left as my preference because I'm right hand dominant, but I, I do switch off. And it's funny. I have one more and I've, trying, I've been trying to decide when I want to put my last one on. So I've been debating. I'm like, I don't want it to be when I'm away on vacation or if I'm traveling. I want it to be when I'm home so I can kind of get a really good sense of all the things that I do during the day to stay as metabolically healthy as possible. Yeah, that's the timing of it. Got to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us, and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, literally every single day of my life. I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near-infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near-infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near-infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy. That includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. 
You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes, or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body, like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the coupon code ifpodcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's j-o-o-v-v.com forward slash ifpodcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Okay, I think we have time for one more question. Lastly, we have a question from Natalie. She says, how come sometimes it's easy to fast and other times I can barely make it 16 hours? Does age, cycle, or perimenopause changes have anything to do with the way we fast? How can we get comfortable fluctuating between three to five pounds, knowing we didn't eat that much, but we have water weight and bloating? So how can we not let it ruin our vibe? Random thoughts by a 40-something. Well, Natalie, this is a great question. And yes, this is the blessing slash curse of perimenopause, the 10 to 15 years preceding menopause, And so from my perspective, there are reasons why it is harder to fast in the luteal phase when progesterone predominates versus the follicular phase, which is right after you've had your menstrual cycle and the time preceding when you ovulate. It's much easier to fast in the follicular phase when estrogen predominates. You're more insulin sensitive. You can get away with harder workouts. You can likely fast longer. And so I spend a lot of time talking about this in my book and on a lot of podcasts, including this one, that I'm really a fan of women being very cognizant of where they are in their menstrual cycle in order to ensure that they have a lot of success with fasting or taking a break from fasting. I'm not a fan of fasting five to seven days preceding your menstrual cycle. You can definitely do you know 12 hours or 13 hours of digestive rest without any issues. And yeah, this is why I don't recommend people weigh themselves every day. You can have fluctuations of three to five pounds due to water, due to macro changes. Did you have more carbs? Did you have less carbs? Have you been exercising? What's your sleep like? What's your stress management like? And the last little you know tidbit that I'll add is that perimenopause is when sleep becomes more important, stress management becomes more important, lifting weights becomes more important, It also becomes more important that we're leaning into anti-inflammatory nutrition. So if you're not already doing some of those things and you're looking to kind of change things up, I would encourage you to, to lean into those. Melanie, what are your thoughts? So this is so interesting. I almost have the opposite advice, which works well because I think different things work for other different people. Because you were saying don't weigh yourself every day. Yep. I I think it's like a once a week thing because, and this is what I can tell you after working with 
thousands and thousands of men and women over the past 20 years, there are people who have a personality type that they can weigh themselves once a week as a check-in. And I always encourage people to be very mindful of like, how do your clothes fit? How do you feel? But there are certain types of personalities. It's not specific to a gender that it's a control mechanism and their whole day is they're either having a good day or a bad day based on what that number is when they step on their scale. And there's so many things that can impact that number that I always say, if you're those types of, if you're that type of person and your entire day is a win or a loss based on what that number is, and you're not going to have a good day if you've gained one pound, that's not a healthy mindset. So that's where my concern stems from is, you know, do you have a healthy relationship with the scale? Because affectionately, I always say the scale is a liar. It is not a reflection of a lot of other metrics. Like this is where I will tell people to get their body fat measured, like doing a bod pod, which if anyone's not familiar with that, it's a little egg-shaped device, but it'll actually measure how much muscle mass to body fat you have. And that's a much more accurate metric. And actually my trainer, that's what she uses. And that's what I use. I probably do it twice a year. And that actually gives me better information than just simply stepping on a scale, unless you have a scale that is giving you a metric about body fat percentages. Yeah. So my answer is actually, it actually is similar. It just has a slightly different manifestation because I agree a hundred percent with everything that you just said that the weight fluctuates. There's so many factors that go into it. And so people can get caught up in this granular number, kind of like the CGM. (laughs) They see this one number at this one time and they attach all of this meaning to it when it might not be an accurate picture of what's actually happening. So I think for some people, there actually is a benefit to weighing every single day. And the interesting thing is you have to do it for a little bit to start seeing the trend. So for some people, if they weigh every single day, tracking it in an app, there's an app called Happy Scale that's really awesome. If you weigh it every single day, it'll show you your actual weekly average. And so you can see your trends over time and you can see what's actually happening. And so it kind of shows you what your quote true weight likely is. And it requires a bit of data. Like that's why I'm saying like it takes a little bit to actually get the benefit from this and kind of change your mindset surrounding it. Because when you actually commit, and I'm not saying everybody should weigh every day, but I'm saying this might help some people. If you do something like use happy scale, weigh every single day, after a few weeks, you'll actually be able to see that those numbers that look like, you know, look like you gained weight actually don't mean anything. And you can, it'll make like graphs. So you can see over time what's actually happening. So I think for some people that can really help. Other people might not be able to get beyond what Cynthia was saying, where, you know, regardless of knowing the overall trend, they just get caught up in that number. And in that case, I don't, you know, I don't think they should be weighing every day. I think you just really need to know, you know, yourself and where you are. I know Jen was obsessed with the Shapa scale. Shapa, have you used that? I have not. It's the one that gives you a color rather than a number. It's grays to greens. The color indicates if you've like stayed the same, if you've lost weight or if you've gained weight. So it also uses similar to Happy Scale. It's going based on your average, not on that weight right at the moment. A lot of people really like that. But yeah, I think just knowing that there's a lot of factors going in can be really really helpful. And she says she's low carb and eating lunch and dinner, but not what she's eating. So, um, you know, what you're eating can have a huge effect as well. Even things like sodium content in food and processed foods versus not. And if some foods are inflammatory for you, that might have an effect. So there's just a lot of factors that go into it. And I just think having 
having kindness for yourself. And, you know, this is where working with a therapist can be really helpful as well. I don't know what I would do without seeing my therapist every week. I love that you brought up the mental health piece because I think women as, and we're all guilty of this, I'm by no means am I perfect at all. But I do think that there is a certain amount of grace that we need to give ourselves. And I think for women, in particular, women that are in perimenopause and menopause, when all the things that we used to do no longer work well, it can be a huge mindset shift. Like I'm in a good place now, but 10 years ago, I or even eight years ago, I definitely was. And I was like, what's going on? And so understanding that with these changes in our bodies, we just have to make some adjustments in order to you know, optimize our health and wellness. And I wasn't even aware of that, that type of scale that you mentioned Jin liked so much that whether it's red, you know, red light, green light, you know, yellow light, I think that's, that's a better alternative to just one metric as a number. Yeah. hundred percent. So, okay. Well, we did not get through all of our fasting AMA questions, so we will pick that up next week. And then if we get through them, then we can do some fun AMAs as well after that. Not that these aren't fun, but (laughs) some other topics. So this has been absolutely wonderful. If listeners would like to submit their own questions for the show, they can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or they can go to ifpodcast.com. They can submit questions there. The show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 303. Those show notes will have a full transcript as well as links to everything that we talked about. So definitely check that out. And then you can follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast. I am Melanie Avalon and Cynthia's is Cynthia underscore Thurlow underscore. I think that is all the things. Sounds good. And for the listeners who've been sending me DMs, we will definitely be answering some hormone questions. We just, we got such a wonderful array of topics to go over. We've been just trying to keep them really well organized, but we will definitely be answering some of those hormone questions too. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.